Hey guys, you're listening to The Glass House, hosted by LifeWay. We are Ben and Lindley Mandrell, and we have conversations with leaders who have experienced the stress of ministry and have sensed a spotlight on their personal lives. We want to encourage ministry families and provide a glimpse inside their glass house. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Glass House. We've got a special edition for you today. About every 10 episodes or so, Lindley and I want to stop and just double-click on some of the key ideas and insights that impacted us along the way. Um, I was reminded recently about a passage in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is teaching these large crowds of people constantly surrounded by the hustle and bustle of life, and he gets into a boat and pushes out into the water so he can get better perspective uh, in his ministry. And it dawned on me that sometimes that's what it's like to be in the glass house is that we're constantly in crowds of people, we're constantly around people, but it's important to step back, reflect, and gather some of those nuggets, those lessons that God's teaching us along the way. So that's what we want to do on this episode. And we'd like to hear from you. We have had such an interesting response already from different episodes of what has spoken to people, what has ministered to people. And so that has been really encouraging for us, and we'd love to continue that. And so there is a website already set up at LifeWay. It's just president at LifeWay.com. And you can email that if you have any questions or if you have any ideas of future things that you'd like to hear from us. We'd love to know what those are. Please do this. One of the most affirming moments for Lindley and I have been reading notes or stories or people catch us on social media and say, I just want you to know how this this episode impacted our family. Uh, that is such fuel but not only for us personally, but also gives us vision on what is really connecting with the podcast and what subjects are most interesting to you. So president at lifeway.com is the email address. We'd love to hear a comment or note from you on that. So I think it would be good, first of all, to talk about the first episode where you and I kind of unpacked what was the journey of our marriage when we hit the turbulence of coming to Lifeway and coming off, you know, 17 years of pastoral ministry. Yeah, we talked about in there that not until you get off the treadmill can you kind of step back and see some of the issues. And so it really did take us coming off of the all those years of just busyness to, to step back and see where our un, own unhealth was. Sadness really sat in on our marriage. You know, with COVID, the changes at Lifeway, the lack of communication that we were experiencing, uh, my lack of vulnerability with you through all that. Uh, it was just a really sad time. And one of my favorite parts of that episode was the Till the Blue song that Stephen Curtis allowed us to put on the end of that. If you've not had a chance to go back and listen to that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, it just has such powerful lyrics about what it means to walk through life together in the midst of sadness. And I think in ministry, suffering is a big piece of it. So I, I think that was a key moment for us. And I hope if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to episode one, check that out. We hope that it'll bless you along the way. So the first episode we recorded with another couple was Dean and Chrissy and Sarah. And they really spoke to us about fear and anxiety and um, just kind of gave a glimpse into the life that pastors do have fear. I mean, in decision making and there are so many decisions that I don't think people understand in pastoral ministry, even beyond, you know, the sermons. But, I mean, the redecorating the building, the mask, the music, the missions, where you give your missions to, it's just a lot of pressure. And so we had an interesting conversation with them. I thought Dean was really honest and transparent when he talked about just moments of panic and anxiety mm -hmm. that he experiences along the way that sometimes people think pastors are, you know, 
immune to these kind of reactions. But the story where he literally handed his kid off to his wife and said, I got to go to the ER right now. I was thinking about that the other day. I've been reading through Bob Iger's book, who is a former CEO of Disney. And as he was going through the interview process for Disney, there's a point in the book where he confesses in January 2005, he's at an LA Clippers game with his son, Max. And all of a sudden his chest tightens, he gets short in breath. He hops in the car with his kid and just says, hey, we've got to go right now. I'm not feeling well. And this is what he says. I'm reading his own words. My heart felt like it was getting squeezed by a fist inside my chest. I knew it was foolish to be behind the wheel with my son in the back seat, and I worried that I had just made a terrible mistake. But in that moment, all I could think about was getting home. He finally gets to the doctor, and his doctor says this, you're having a classic anxiety attack, Bob. You've got to get some rest. Here's the part that was interesting to me, though. He writes, it was a relief, but it was also a worry because I'd always thought of myself as someone impervious to stress and able to stay focused and calm under pressure. Mm-hmm. I love that story because when we see like giant figures or pastoral figures, people we look up to, we think, well, surely they don't deal with panic yeah, and stress. Well, and just fear of decision making. And, um, and that's what the thing that we loved the most that Dean said was, you know, when people leave and say, well, it's not personal. Well, I mean, you wouldn't go to someone's house and them cook a meal for you and then be like, mm, that wasn't my favorite. Like, but thanks for having us. And so, you know, it is hard when people just leave and are kind of like, don't take it personal. I mean, even though you are the preacher and your sermons aren't good. I mean, you know, it it is personal. It's hard. I would take your illustration even further. Not only do they say, hey, I didn't like your food. They say, and I'm never coming back to your house again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think pastors really do struggle with, you know, why are people leaving? Mm-hmm. And why aren't they honest with me about it? Yeah. And that that episode, I think— Blessed a lot of people because I know a lot of pastors and wives yeah. have struggled with some of the bitterness bitterness issues related to that. So that was double click on on that episode with the Inseras. Let's move on to the episode about the Grays. Uh, Derwin and Vicky Gray uh, shared about uh, the emotion of hurt mm-hmm. and just how difficult it is to to deal with that in ministry. Well, they've talked about that for specifically for them because they work together in church. And I knew that I know that is a new thing coming up with church planning. There are a lot of pastors and wives that are working together. Um, and that de- can create hurt. Um, I think what we loved so much is what Vicky talked about overfunctioning and how that we have become kind of a culture of overfunctioning, which is really it equals over control. I mean, when we ha- when we overfunction that what we are saying is that we are the only ones that can do it the best. And so we should be in control of everything. And the problem with that is that it robs people of their ministry opportunities. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who can do things really well, maybe not exactly like you want to do it. But if we want to celebrate the body of Christ, you know, all the different parts of it, then if we do everything for them, then we're actually not allowing them to play a role. You and I were just talking about this last night. You you overfunctioned in the church. You you confessed that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> publicly. But I think what's missing in the conversation is that you overfunctioned because you wanted to. Like you actually enjoyed doing the work yourself. Uh, and so that's a challenge that every leader has as they want to try to control and improve every environment they're in. Louis Giglio, um, well-known name, wrote a book called Goliath Must Fall about his challenge with anxiety and and taking on too much mm-hmm. with with being hurt by overfunctioning. And he writes this in his book. I think it's interesting. He says, looking back, I see the footprints of two of my own Goliaths, control and approval. Mm -hmm. 
He said, I have a tendency to want to change whatever environment I'm in. I want to make things better. I feel like this driving through a city, sitting in traffic, eating in a restaurant, walking through a slum in Haiti, passing time between flights in an airport, waiting in a hospital, anywhere, anytime. I'm thinking about how I can create change. Good leaders think this way. Vicky was very honest about that, mm -hmm. but also like embarrassed that she kept robbing everyone, gobbling up all the ministry. Right. Uh, I'd never heard anyone talk about it like that, particularly a woman in yeah. the church. Yeah. I mean, you and I just talked about this, though, because we were recently just last week on a vacation and um, we were in the Bahamas with my family, 19 of my family members. And this lady came to do a COVID test and she may have been the sweetest, slowest lady we've ever met. The and, most inefficient process I have witnessed in years. And I was just watching her like, I, I could help you. Can I help you like make this a little bit faster? And <laughs> of course, I didn't say that, but I, that's what I'm thinking. Instead of just enjoying the vacation, I'm sitting there like over-functioning, like, let's do this quicker, more efficient. I, I really appreciated how honest she was about what happens in the life of the church when a leader over-functions and the hurt it causes, not mm -hmm. only to herself, mm -hmm. but to other people. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. So this was David and Caron Loveless, and they talked to us about shame. And the thing that we have not been able to get over with that episode was his term of arrogance of capacity. And I don't know that we ever even knew if he came up with that or if that's something he read, but it was so impactful to us. He talked about the moral failure that he had and what was really the runway to that moment, which was taking on more and more responsibility without accountability. And uh, there's a book out called Essentialism. It's been out a couple of years, but it really talks about how important it is to stay focused on your lane. Yeah. So I'm going to read a quote from this that David was essentially saying. It just says, Have you ever spent time with someone who is always trying to fit just one more thing in? Such people know they have 10 minutes to get to a meeting that takes 10 minutes to walk to, but they will still sit down to answer a couple of emails before they go, or they agree to put together a report by Friday, even though they have another huge deadline that same day. Or maybe they promise to swing by their cousin's birthday party on Saturday night, even though they already have tickets to a show that starts at the exact same time. Their logic, which ignores the reality of trade-offs, is I can do both. The rather important problem is that this logic is false. Inevitably, they are late to the meeting. They miss one or both of the deadlines. They do a bad job on the projects, or they don't make it to their cousin's celebration. The reality is saying yes to any opportunity, by definition, requires saying no to several other opportunities. He's really talking about trade-offs mm -hmm. in there. And what David said so well in the episode is that he didn't realize the importance of trade-off. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do it. He didn't do trade-offs, which led to his moral failure. He kept saying yes to speaking opportunities to travel, which put more demands on his body, more demands on, you know, just getting on and off planes. And he got weak. And that ultimately, as he even said, is what led to, you know, compromise in his mm -hmm. personal life. And so I think the arrogance of capacity is something from these first 10 episodes that has really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. So the next one. Adam Mason. Yep. His episode uh, was, he's just so full of wisdom, that yes. guy. And he talked about the definition of guilt as a legal construct. Well, because we got it wrong. He talked about it because we got the definition wrong in the right. episode. So he, he asked us, us, do you know what guilt is? And we're like, no. No, we said, yeah, we do. And we answered it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the idea was that guilt was related to a legal, it's a legal um, boundary that's been crossed. Mm -hmm. And we often confuse guilt for just fear of disappointing people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The same book, Essentialism, not to try to wear it out, but there was a quote in there also. 
And it just said, once an Australian nurse named Bronnie Ware, who cared for people in the last 12 weeks of their lives, recorded their most often discussed regrets. At the top of this list is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. This requires not just haphazardly saying no, but purposefully, deliberately, and strategically eliminating the non-essentials, and not just getting rid of the obvious time wasters, but cutting out some really good opportunities as well. And that was the line that we liked so much, is that in this age, um, a lot of times we have to cut out really good opportunities. And it doesn't make sense to the the watching world, um, but it makes sense when it comes to just your own emotional health. Bronnie Ware is with these people who are dying day after day after day. They're all saying the same thing. (laughs) I wish I had lived the life that I wanted to live and not the one that everyone expected me to live. Mm -hmm. I don't know a quote that better describes life in the glass house better than that. Mm -hmm. So many ministry families feel like they have to make decisions that please a group of people versus what they feel led to do or called to do or what's best for them. And I thought that episode was really good in distinguishing between what is true guilt versus just fear of disappointing people. Right. That stuck with me, and I continue to think about it. Mm-hmm. In the next episode, we talked to uh, Daniel and Christina M. And, man, they were just a ray of sunshine. Yes. Full of joy and very authentic about some of their own struggles and managing perception. They talked about how their personality type is that they – they sometimes present as if they've got it all together, even though they're really inwardly struggling. Mm-hmm. And that prevented intimacy from happening in their lives. Yeah. I mean, they talked about it also, Kyle Hoover in episode nine talked about it, how they can spend hours with someone, but completely being avoid being vulnerable, which I think is so true because it's scary to be vulnerable. The definition of vulnerability came up in that episode, which I thought was helpful just a reminder that vulnerability is when you give someone information they can use to hurt you. And if people in the glass house ministry aren't doing that regularly with someone, then they're beginning to just manage perception rather than being a true human being. Mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing that we have learned about the term loneliness is that you can be some with someone all day, every day, but still be lonely for them. And we've learned that in our counseling, and I'm, Ben doesn't mind me sharing this, but, you know, the, Ben would say something to our counselor, and he would say, um, I'm lonely for you, Ben, because you're giving me all the right answers that come from the head but not the heart. And so I think that was an, that was an interesting thing that came up with loneliness. Yeah, I, I continue to go back to that moment. I'll, I'll never forget. I've never had another man say that to me. Like, I'm lonely with you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he was doing was uh, calling my bluff and saying, hey, those are all the right words, yeah. but it doesn't match uh, your spirit right now. A lot of small talk. Be honest. Mm-hmm. Be more honest. And it's scary to be more and honest. And we still struggled with that. I mean, we can spend a lot of time together, and I'll say to Ben, like, I am tired of hearing about your schedule, about your meetings, about your work. Like, what are you feeling? And he's like, what do you mean? I just I just told you everything I'm feeling. But it's just all surfacey, and so we really have to we have to work hard to get to that deeper level. And Daniel nailed it with the story about his mentor who really hurt him, mm-hmm. and because of that, has been gun shy ever since to be that level of vulnerable with other yep. people. So it was a great episode on that. Yep. Anger was the next episode. Yes, it was. I thought that Matt and Jennifer Carter, um, the story that she told about how she was loading her kids in the car and this unnamed man comes along, helps her with the task of loading kids in a car. She later tells Matt, I just need you to know 
that it felt really good to have a man pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't doing that as a threat or I'm thinking about having an affair or anything like that, but just it's been a long time, Matt, since I felt that level of concern from you. Yeah. And she was angry about it. She was, yep. We have read a book called Dangerous Calling by Paul Tripp. And um, he in here is talking about his anger and it says, what I'm about to share next is both humbling and embarrassing. On one occasion, as Luella was confronting me with yet another instance of my anger, I got on a roll and actually said these deeply humble words. 95% of the women in our church would love to be married to a man like me. How's that for humility? Luella very quickly informed me that she was in the 5%. How blind does one have to be to let a statement like mine roll out of one's lips? God was about to undo and rebuild the heart and life of this man, and I did not know I needed it and had no idea that it was coming. And I think that has been the story of our journey to Lifeway. It it really is so hard to see pride in your own life. Um, When we get into conflict and there's anger involved, it's been hard for me to admit I'm angry. Because your association of anger is loudness. So, you know, that's another thing that we've learned and we talked about in this episode is that silent rage is just as bad as loud rage. And you can rage silently and stonewall and walk away and you know and those are just as is damaging and i'm sitting there in smug self-righteousness thinking i'm seething with anger but i'm not being loud about it mm-hmm. i'm way <laughs> i'm way better <laughs> so i ran across this a little nugget 93 percent of american motorists believe that they are better than average drivers <laughs> you're in the seven <laughs> <laughs> in 2007 business week poll of managers surveyed believe that their performance in the workplace was in the top 10%. 90% say they're in the top 10%. All of this data only confirms what we know to be true is we round up on ourselves and we round down on others. And anger, I think, is the place where we're so quick to point out anger in others and so slow to confess it in ourselves. And I think the thing about anger that I took away from that episode, if if you don't pay attention to it, it only grows, multiplies, and begins to take over your life. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to anger because it's an emotion that's telling you something. Yep. On the next episode, which is a really hard episode, but so good, was Eric and Katrina Reed. And they were talking to us about sadness. They told the listeners about their loss of their son due to a situation that, that could have been prevented. So I mean, you just talk about bitterness and sadness and how they've worked through it. And um, they were so gracious to... Um, not make us feel bad when we feel sad. They were so kind because, I mean, the tendency to when you're talking to someone who's lost a child, which is like the ultimate pain, is to say, well, but my my sadness doesn't compare to your sadness. And they were so gracious to say, you know, whatever sadness you have in your life is is relative to you, and it does feel sad. And so I just, I was so moved by that. I love how they have fought against bitterness in their lives. Mm-hmm. The moment they described where they ran into the doctor who made the mistake mm-hmm. and his reaction and how, what a relief it was for him to finally feel forgiven mm-hmm. was a reminder to me that forgiveness is not just something that we need to give, but we need to receive it. And people need to forgive for their own sake, not just for the sake of the other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy got a gift that day when Eric decided to just say, hey, we've forgiven you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody goes through hard things in life, but some people seem to be better at refusing to become bitter. I was super challenged by that. Right. I'm in the lower percentage. I like to carry some baggage with me. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was encouraged by their ability to just let it go and challenge. It challenged us to move forward and not just move on, but move forward. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. That was a great episode. And finally, the Hoovers. I thought that this was one of my favorite episodes and that they, everything that they said, I felt like the words had weight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And their episode was gladness, which was tough to tackle because honestly, gladness is a net result of dealing with these other things in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was, I thought it was helpful um, to just stop and talk about how do we keep unloading our emotions? I thought Kyle's suggestion was even super simple, but practical, and that he pulls over at the end of the day before he goes home, pulls out a little feeling wheel and circles a couple of feelings so that he doesn't walk in the door and be surfacy and small talky, but be truly authentic with his wife. I I liked, and you and I have talked about this, how he, he quoted, he said, I was underdeveloped. I think that's such an interesting term when talking about emotions because we all want to believe that we're really wise and mature, but really we are all underdeveloped in some areas, um, especially when it comes to emotions. Not everybody has all the emotions figured out. And so even in our counseling journey, he's he's talked to us and we've pinpointed some personal things. For me, they're different than Ben where he's underdeveloped. So I thought that was an interesting term, kind of like overfunctioning. I want to personally thank Kyle for conflict you and I recently had in our marriage. <laughs> because it was another day where I was being surfacy, and we had just listened to that episode. No, 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 no. Let's tell the story right. Okay. You came home and said, I just listened to this again, and I just was so impacted by it. And I said, that's great. <laughs> and I waited about 24 hours for you to like show Apply any – Yes, <laughs> the application, and it didn't happen. And so the next day I said, so exactly what part were you impacted by? Because we're still keeping it like top shelf here. And I, what did I say? Okay, I can pull over and get my feelings wheel out. No, you didn't. I said you should do that. And you were like, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pull over. Even I, thought though I, you, I thought I cleared that up. Maybe we still need to work on that. <laughs> I still haven't done it. I remember when I, we were talking about Stephen Curtis Chapman one day, we were uh, talking to him. And he was saying that it's very difficult to be the guy who wrote the song, I Will Be Here. Mm-hmm. Because everyone thinks you're great at marriage. And it is very difficult to have a podcast like this as if we figured all this stuff out right? and we're struggling to apply all of it too. And I think what I was reminded to in that episode is really like, what is the blocking and tackling of marriage, which is regularly unveiling what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do. And it's specifically hard to keep doing it. Right. I thought they did a great job of reminding us. So there they are. There are the highlights of uh, these first nine episodes. We double clicked on some things. Hope that was helpful. But again, we would really love to hear from you. So let me give you the email address again. It's president at lifeway.com. Lindley and I would love to hear a story on something that happened as a result of an episode you heard or an insight or something that's really stuck with you. Let us know as we think about episodes in the future, the kinds of things you want to hear about or that have been helpful to you. And we want to continue to curate this content in a way that's helpful to, to the listener. Thanks for being with us on this special episode. We are going to take a little break coming soon for the holidays, and we'll be dropping some fresh conversations for the Glass House in mid-January. But we have one more bonus episode we're going to be sending to you very soon, which has to do with the challenges of the Christmas season in the Glass House. We hope that you'll tune in for that one. We think it'll be very practical. The Glass House is a production of Lifeway Christian Resources. It's hosted by Ben and Lindley Mandrell. Executive produced by Joy Allman, produced and edited by Angie Elkins, original music by Robert Elkins, and graphic design by Cameron Spooner.